Prescribed truth, we giving you what the doctor ordered. Jamal Bandy, apologist, the Lord's servant. We undeserving, but Christ changed our mind frame. In a world full of errors, the only thing the doctor prescribes is truth. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Prescribing Truth. I'm Jamal Bandy, the one who seeks to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. Welcome back. Welcome back, man. This has been a great week. I hope you've enjoyed your Lord's day on today. Last Sunday, I was, I did the, the show from my hotel room in Atlanta. So I'm glad to be back with my family and whatnot. I did well in my training, passed my test. And so just a couple more left before I can get my certification. Whoop, whoop. Anywho, um, I don't want to be too long tonight. Got things to do. So I want to talk about the reasons that people are giving for not not abortions yes want to get into that some more the reasons people are giving i've been getting in some good conversations lately uh, with some people i know over facebook and so on and so forth and it's amazing to me that what i'm seeing is that people hate children they just they they hate them it's like they, it's like children don't have value until they break through and come from the womb and it's sad that you know that this is how we view life. The reasons people are giving is things that you could apply to any situation, anybody outside the womb. Viability, the fact of being able to survive on your own, the fact that you may not have enough money, lack of care, or even a corrupt or maybe uh, even a flawed system seems to be valid reasons to kill children. And then the classic, the classic thing is, instead of viewing them as children, we view them as a clump of cells. And given as what a child is in the womb, all of us would be uh, considered a clump of cells, given as we have the same makeup. We just matured, body parts grown and developed. You know, but it's amazing to me how that is. Our culture just don't like children. So now I mentioned this in a video, that I recently put out and I mentioned how even in my past I was for abortion but I, w I didn't make excuses I, did, I it wasn't like a thing where I was like oh it's because I didn't have money or it's because you know um it's just a couple of sales not really a human being any of that kind of stuff I knew that the the baby that said girl may be carrying I want to kill I don't want it I want it gone because of my own selfishness. And I knew that even then, that's without being a Christian. I knew that. And I'm, and I'm willing to bet that the most of the people who are arguing for abortion know that too, but it sounds bad coming from my mouth. It doesn't sound good to say that I was okay with murdering a child or I'm for people choosing to murder another child. It doesn't sound good. It sounds bad. It sounds hateful. So who would want to admit such a thing? But that's the reality. That's the reality that people would like to deny. And so real quick, on the topic of viability, that is a reason a lot of people give, you know, um, a woman should be able to choose to kill a child in a womb because it can't survive outside of her womb. So that's the reason to kill it. If it can't survive, if it, if it's, if it's viability level is low, then it doesn't have a right to live. You know, it doesn't have that right. Like you and I have, but then what do we say with the one who's on the breathing machine 
that without that machine pumping air into their lungs, they would die. What about the one who's on life support as we speak? Now they do um, take pull the plug in those cases and everything, but that's not murder. That's consent that was given. Um, this person obviously there's nothing that they can do else to make to uh, cause a person to continue to live and so on and so forth. So that's a, the family usually has to make a decision. So that's not somebody intending to murder. They're trying to save the life of an individual, but there's no way they could do it. And that's where that comes to play. But to say that just because the, the fetus, the baby can't survive on its own means that it deserves to die or his life is in someone else's hands to be able to say, Hey, I don't want you. Therefore you have to die. That's not a valid reason. Not a valid reason. And we're talking about innocent blood here. Not someone who's done you wrong. Not somebody who, you know, been angry with you, mad at you for whatever reason. It's innocent. Baby's done no wrong. Yet people can choose to kill it. Another reason that I hear is definitely dealing with the foster care system being overpacked. It's, you know, it's, you know, people, it's not enough money to take care of everything and so on and so forth. If we go off of the fact that the foster care system is bad and therefore we can't, we should kill this child, then, well, what about the prison systems? Because they're overcrowded and, and they're flawed. So we can't trust that people will go there. So instead of when somebody commits a crime, the best thing that we should do then is to kill them. Just put them to death. Don't send them to jail because it's packed. It's overcrowded. You know, they're not going to be treated fairly. You know, they're, gonna, they're not going to be able to eat well. Whatever case may be, take, take them out. They committed a crime. You know, let the punishment be automatic death. You know, and I know, I know that may sound like it's overstretching a little bit, but come on, y'all. Let's bring things down to the logical conclusions of what we're saying. People are saying that the life inside of the womb of a mother it is not valuable not valuable and does not have the same rights that you and i have but for what reason what differentiates me from the child in the womb as far as my value and my dignity the inherent value and dignity that we all have what separates me that my body is more matured that I've been around a lot longer. That's it. My eyes are more developed. My senses are more developed. My body's more developed. That's it. But I, but that gives, that gives me more rights than the baby. But the same thing can be said with an infant and a born child, a child that's a newborn, the same thing. Child, the newborn child can't survive on its own. You, you take a newborn child out of a mother and you put them out on their own. They can't survive. They need someone to take care of them. The mother to take care of them, the father, the hospital, somebody has to take care of that newborn child in order for it to survive. So what's the difference between the one in the womb and the infant that's outside the womb? The one inside the womb is dependent on the mother who's carrying it. The one outside the womb can either depend on the mother, the father, or anyone else to give it nutrients so it can survive. That's it. That's it. 
So viability cannot be a sufficient reason to want to murder a child in the womb. The welfare system not being up to par should not be a reason to kill a child. The biggest things I've seen people bring up, mostly the most emotional driven arguments are the one of the 11 year old, 14 year old rapist, rape victim, not rapist, sorry, rape victim. And the mother whose life is in jeopardy because of the pregnancy. Now I'm going to address one of those right now and I'll address the other one later. So what I want to address now is the mother whose life is threatened. Life is threatened. And I mentioned this in a Facebook comment I did earlier when I was talking to a gentleman. If the mother's life is threatened and they have to make a choice whether to save the mother or save the child, or maybe it's just, it's, it's better that maybe the child may not even survive if the mother even has to die. But what is that? If there has to be a choice, most likely they're going to go with the mother surviving. But check this out. No one is intending to kill the child. Look at that. No one is saying, I don't want this child, therefore kill it. Or this child is causing me discomfort, kill it. For it to get to that point, for it to get to that point concerning the mother's health, that means they've done everything they could do to try to cause, to let the babies live, to keep the baby alive, and also keep the mother health, healthy and alive. And it seems that there's no way to get past this, that it's gonna be a risk. And if there's gonna be a risk, they'd rather save the mother. In that case, they're not murdering the child. They're not. So like I said, it's the same thing we talk about the individual who's on life support. You know, if the time comes to pull the plug, it's not murdering that individual. There's a choice that has to be made. No, there's no way possible to continue on um, to keep the person alive. You know, they have a certain amount of time, you know, and so people have to make a choice. So it's not the same. Now, on the subject of the rape victim, rape is horrible. And I feel like even as a Christian, I shouldn't feel like I have to say this every time I'm dealing with this subject. It's when somebody bring up the, the ridiculous argument of dealing with the rape victim. Because we all know that rape is horrible, wrong, and that rapists should be punished to the full extent of the law. I believe that they should be put to death, castrated, or both. <laughs> like that's what needs to be that needs to happen to the rapist. All right. But we have an instance where a rapist has impregnated a female, some older, some younger. And now it seems to me that the argument gets more emotional, the younger of the age of the individual we're talking, but I'm going to keep it in the scope of all ages. The ages of which pregnancy happens by rapists is horrible. It's bad. You know, it's distasteful, but the child within them that is developing, that has a heartbeat, that's developing lungs, developing a brain, hands, feet, everything else. They didn't do the crime. They didn't do the crime and therefore they should not have to be punished because of the sins of their father. And the argument is because this woman will go through trauma of carrying this child that came from her rapist. 
carrying her child that came from a rapist. And then if the baby is born, she is forced to look at this baby who resembles her rapist. And she has to deal with that for the rest of her life. And that should be reason enough to kill a child. And if that is the reason we're going to give, then why does it have to stop at the womb? Because this trauma, if the woman has already given birth to her rapist children, why not kill the child as an infant? What makes it less hurtful? The woman still has to deal with trauma. The baby's already born. Baby's here, living, probably in grade school. Why stop there? Why not kill the child as an infant? But see, we will all see that as wicked and evil. And you can sit there and say all day long, oh, I know, I can't understand her because she went through trauma and so on and so forth. But you would not say that's justification for killing an infant, an infant child or a three-year-old or a five-year-old. You wouldn't say that, even though that's the product of a rape. But here, because the child is still in the womb, it's deemed to be okay. Be okay, because you got to understand that this woman has gone through something traumatic. I'm sorry. There's nothing more traumatic than being ripped apart piece by piece, sucked through a tube, and being counted as nothing but a lump of, of cells. And that's all you are. That's traumatic. But that infant, that baby, doesn't get to express that trauma. They don't get to live to tell us how traumatic that was to go through that because they're dead. Rape victim lives on prayerfully. You know, some rape, some rape victims don't live through this, through the um, ordeal, but some live on and it's painful and it's hurt that they have to deal with, but there's hope for them. There's an answer for their pain. There's an answer for their trauma. And all of that is found in Christ. Christ gives us peace. He's the one who provides us with peace and security. And even if this life gives us a whole bunch of lemons, sour lemons, man, he's promised us eternal life where everything, everything will be good. There's a hope outside of this world. So there's something to look forward to. Now that may not be enough for you because you want your best life now, but I'm okay with waiting for my best life to come. And I hope that for any rape victim that's gone through that ordeal, that they would trust in Christ, look to him, look to him to satisfy their need of peace and tranquility. But murdering the child is not going to bring them peace. It's not going to stop the trauma of the, of the event that happened. It's not going to change the, what happened. It won't. But murdering a child is going to be extra guilt onto that parent, onto that mother. And if, if she doesn't want to raise a child, there's options out there. There are other options other than murdering a child. There are other options. They're available. You can take advantage of them. So I'm not hearing any valid reason of wanting to murder an unborn child. I don't think there is any. I've, I've talked about how shocking it, it was and is that there are even Christians who are standing for abortion. Even heard, I don't know, briefly, I haven't, even, I haven't even read on it. I need to. But even something about Lecrae even saying something for it, like against the bills that were passed. I'm like, wow, interesting. We have to really think about how we view life. When does life become valuable? When does life become important? 
Is life only important if they can contribute something to society? Is it only important if it doesn't have any defects? I mean, cause that was one of the arguments I heard too, is that we make this child come in the world that this person doesn't want. And what about, what about when the person finds out that the child has birth, is gonna have birth defects and so on and so forth, then we should like, like keep that child from having to suffer through life and just take them out. How do you know that child wants to die? How do you know that child doesn't want to have a fight at life? How do you know that? You don't. You're making that decision for it. Then another argument, a woman should have a right to choose what to do with her body. It's her body. Nobody should tell her what to do with it. And it's funny, now, as I think about this, maybe you guys can correct me. But think about this. Every law that we have in place tells a person what to do with their bodies, right? We have a law that tells us on um, the punishment. If we uh, assault someone, that's something we're doing with our bodies. We're using our bodies as weapons, right? We're assaulting someone. We use our body to jaywalk. We use our body to, what else I can say? Oh, we use our body when we get in the car and we drive, we go heavy on the pedal and we drive fast, faster than the speed limit. We use our body to do that. We use our mouths to threaten people, bomb threats, threaten the president, whatever the case may be. And there are laws to govern us on those areas. Just daming a couple of things. We're told what to do with our bodies. What is wrong with it then? Should we throw out all laws? Should I or you be able to go and attack anyone, anyone you want to because it's your body and nobody should tell you what to do with your body. So go and attack somebody. Use your body as a weapon and go be brutal. Should that be okay? I mean, why should it be wrong? I know, I know why you say it's wrong. You would say it's wrong because I'm using my body and the right to do with my body to violate somebody else's. I mean, it's the same thing with the rape. The rapist should then go free because the rapist has, has the choice to do with their body as they want to do. But it's because they're choosing to use their body as an instrument to cause someone else's body harm and therefore it's wrong. But then I asked the question, <laughs> why is it okay then to abort a child? Because a woman is using her body. She's having a choice with her body to kill and to harm another one. That should not be, it shouldn't be. That's another body inside all right so yes she has her body but there's another body that she's dealing with another one and does that body have rights should that body have a choice a say in the matter of whether or not they want to live or die they should they should that's how i'm arguing there the reasons people give for abortion it's beyond me. 
And what I believe it is ultimately is because they know that they don't value life like they should. They know that that unborn child has value. They know it. They know that child has value. They know that child has dignity, but they hate it. I don't care what you say. Anybody who's saying that it's okay, it should be okay to murder an unborn child hates children. Now, real quick, I found it interesting. That was on an article I looked up. We was talking about the, the issue of the case of the young woman, a lady who gets pregnant by a rapist. And I, or incest, incest relationships. I saw that the youngest woman ever in history, and that is as far as I know, was in 19, was in the 1930s. And I want to say her name was Lena Medina. She was five years old, five years old, pregnant because of her grandmother's partner, 64 year old man, 65 year old man, had sex with her, got her pregnant. The baby was carried full term and the baby was born healthy. 11 year old girl in Argentina. Oh, no matter, you know what? I got those stories mixed up. In Argentina, it was the grandmother's uh, partner that did it. Not the five-year-old girl. I don't, I don't know how she got pregnant at five, but it, it was either rape or incest. I don't know. But that was a long time ago, 1930s. So forgive me for that. But in Argentina, that was her case. 11-year-old girl, uh, she had to have a C-section. Now, the five-year-old baby was born, was born um, healthy. The one 11-year-old they wasn't sure about. So now what happened was with her is that Argentina has relaxed laws. And so they wanted, she wanted to have an abortion, but the doctors wouldn't do it. When it came time um, to have it done, it was too late. She was 23 weeks and they felt like it had been unhealthy. It had been a risk for her life to go through the abortion. And they had to go through some custodial laws and all that kind of stuff like that, try to even get the green light to go forward. But she ended up having a baby. And the baby, you know, they, at the time, this was in February this year, at the time they said they wasn't sure the baby would survive. But the 11 year old girl was safe. She was okay. So none of this I'm bringing up is to justify anything, to justify the rape. Of course, I already mentioned it earlier, so I'm not gonna go down this spill again. But this, this girl had a C-section. She didn't give the birth naturally. She had a C-section. So there's, there are possibilities to be able to save the child and also save the, save the young girl, save both children in that sense. Now, yes, the 11 year old girl will have a scar. Yes, she will be, her body will change, be forced to change. Yes, she will have to be reminded of this situation. Even if the child is put up for adoption, what case may be, she will always have the scars to prove and to bear witness to what took place to her. Yes, so that's unfortunate. But once again, the argument is always this, that that is still not a reason to kill a child, to kill a child. That's it, y'all. Not whether or not the situation was right or wrong, how it happened or whatnot. It all goes down to when is it okay to murder a child? That's it. Now there's another one. This woman, this woman in Alabama, Alabama passed their bill the anti-abortion bill. And I, and I, yeah, I think it also 
um, said that women will not be able to abort their children even after being raped or incest. So it's very strict. And this was an article from a woman who gave birth to a rapist child and she couldn't give an abortion. And she expressed her grief about this. And I'm gonna read the whole article. But she's from Alabama. And she talks about how she wanted to have the abortion but couldn't. She, had, she was 17 and she was raped by a classmate, someone she knew. And she was pregnant as a result. Her daughter would end up having birth defects, take away from her ability to think, to emote, or to connect to the world in all the fundamental ways that make life worth living. That's her words. So now, make a long story short, she says that she was forced to give birth to the child of this rape, always connecting in some way to the man who took so much from her. So this is how she saw her baby, just a connection to a rapist. Not a child, an innocent child who had nothing to do with it, but a connection to a rapist. Now, we can understand her pain. We can understand that, man, this was traumatic for her. Even in the fact that her child was born with defects and her baby eventually died, her baby did die. We can understand all that, but will we really say that's justification for killing the child because of what kind of life they may have afterwards? And even then she said that she would have rather killed the child than to allow the child to suffer. That's an emotional argument. And I understand the argument. I mean, the child is going to suffer, have these defects, not, not going to be able to think properly and all these things like that. So, I mean, it's not, it's not worth, it's not worth living. You know, you, if you can't do these things, it's not worth living. You know, your, your life, man, it's only, life is only precious by what you can do in it, in that sense. And so the baby dies. And so she felt like she could have saved herself from the trauma of having to be connected to a rapist and the fact of her child dying and the fact that her child was born with defects if she would have been able to kill the child in the womb. Once again, I think, I would like to think that that child, even though she had defects, she still wanted to live. I don't think a child in the womb wants to be torn apart. You don't want to be torn apart. I don't think a child wants to be torn apart and sucked through a tube. That's suffering. That's pain. It's not a valid reason. But if we, if we use that, like I said, because of birth defects, I mentioned this earlier, birth defects and so on and so forth, the things that make life worth living. What about the individual who is born with defects, who can't think well, like everybody else, who can't show emotions like everyone else, who can't have the fundamental connections to, to the world like everybody else can that makes life worth living. Is their life not precious? Is their life not worth saving, preserving? I, I know you would say yes. I just don't understand why you wouldn't put the same standard with the child in the womb. I don't understand that. So with that, I'm gonna go ahead and switch gears real quick. All right, so as a Christian, one of the main things we should be doing is evangelizing. Our Lord said to go therefore and make disciples. And sometimes we can't wait for them to come to us. One way in which I like to engage others is with gospel tracts. They are great for starting the conversation. Even though sometimes you may not have the time, there is no need to fear because every gospel tract has a gospel message laid out beautifully. So you could be assured that if they take the time to read them, they would have received the gospel message. 
Where do I get my gospel tracks from? I'm glad you asked. I get mine from Track Planet. They offer a wide variety of gospel tracks, even for different seasons of the year, at an extremely affordable price. I've used them at work just by sitting them on my counter, watching people pick them up, and began to ask me questions about the message they contain. If you would like to check, if you'd like to check out some of these amazing tracks to use in evangelizing, please visit the website that I have linked below. The website is prescribedtruth.com forward slash track planet. And just to be sure, let you know, I am not affiliated with them. I just wanted to advertise for them. You know, that's what I want to do. I do love the tracks though. I do absolutely love the tracks. All right. The next topic I want to deal with was first Peter three twenty one. Now, why do I want to do this topic? Um, for the last couple of weeks, I've been getting into discussions, dealing with baptism, um, baptismal regeneration. Um, should a Christian even be baptized? Um, does it save? Is it necessary? So on and so forth. I've been dealing with that. And so um, in every conversation um, that I've dealt with, someone has brought up 1 Peter 3.21. Now, I'm not, a, uh, I'm not new to this argument. I understand why they go to this scripture and so on and so forth to try to prove that baptism saves you, no pun intended. But, but I think they're just sadly mistaken, taking it out of context. And therefore, I want to take a quick look at it. And hopefully, when I say quick, I try to mean quick. Take a quick look at it and provide some truth to that error. All right? So let's look at that real quick. Let me go to my Eastward app. And if you guys can, if you're listening, uh, reading along in your Bibles, it's 1 Peter 3, 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, so now that's 321. Now, in all things, just like as you see at the bottom of this screen, is like I like to always say is, what is the context? You need to know the context. And so we're going to read a couple of verses before. We're going to read up into verse um, 21. Matter of fact, we're going to read the 22, just finish up the chapter at that point. We're going to read that, and then we're going to discuss it. Start at verse 17. This, this leads us to it. 1 Peter 3, 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. All right. Context, context, context. 1 Peter 3, 321. They always argue that baptism saves you because this is what 1 Peter says. Now, I love this because 
what they do, they miss a valuable point within the very verse before this one. The very verse before this. In the days of Noah. And see, think about this. What does 21 says? Baptism, which corresponds to this. Now, let's let's look at this. I said a quick look. And I'm, I'm going to try to keep it quick. But let's look at this real quick. First Peter 3.21, the word for correspond, a representative or counterpart. Represents. It represents it. This it, The baptism represents this. It's like this. It corresponds to this. And I, I am always going to butcher a word. But that word is antitopon. Antitopon. That's the word that's given for correspond. It's letting us know that this the baptism is, is corresponding to this. But but in how? How does baptism correspond to what happened in the days of Noah? That's the question. So we go back. Look at 21 again. What corresponds to this? So let's look at what the this is. The issue in 20. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So now, how was water used in the days of Noah? How was water used? It was used as a means of God's wrath. As a means of God's wrath. Not salvation. Wrath. Wrath on those who disobeyed, right? Who did not heed the warning. And while Noah was preparing the ark. But what saved them? Those eight persons. What saved them during that time? That if anybody was in the same place as these eight persons, they would be saved from the water. The ark. The ark. Whoever was found in the ark was saved from God's wrath. Just let that sink for a little bit. Just think on that for a minute. Whoever was in the ark, whoever was found in the ark when the wrath of God came in the way of flood waters, they were saved. They were brought safely through the water in Christ. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Check this. Not as a removal of dirt from the body. So it's not even dealing with the water. Not even dealing with the water. But as an appeal to God for good conscience, for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whoever was found in the ark will be saved from God's wrath. Who's ever found in Christ will be saved from God's eternal wrath. Baptism in this way saves you. So it's not something that happens to give you salvation. As I talked to a gentleman that's long ago, he said that once you were baptized, you now be able to access God's blood, I mean Christ's blood, and that was shed on the cross. And by that, then you receive that salvation. Because now you have the blood of Christ applied to you. But as we always use scripture to interpret scripture, we know that at Christ's crucifixion, when his blood was shed, when he was nailed on the cross, 
that's when our sin debts were taken away at the cross. At the cross. First Peter 3.22 tells us it was through, not 22, sorry, 21 tells us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's through him. He, he, he rose from the grave. So our baptism isn't to gain this salvation. Isn't to gain it. It is a mark of obedience. Something we do as an obedience. But it's a public display of something that's already taken place. If we're in Christ, then we are saved. If you're not in Christ, then you won't be saved from God's wrath. Period. Who are those who are saved? Those who have been born again, who have faith in Christ, who trust him. Those are those who are saved. And the lives that they live are not their own, but they have been bought with a price. Where were they paid for? When was it paid for? At the cross, the shedding of blood. So 1 Peter 3.21 cannot be used as an argument for saying that baptism saves you. Because baptism doesn't save you. He was given the corresponding to this. He's giving it a, he was giving a reference back to how it was in Noah. And what saved them then? The ark, not the water. Water didn't do it. It was the ark. So when we're baptized in the water, I, I, I could be wrong, but... You get baptized in the water, there you're not in a boat being dunked. You're not. Just you being dunked in the water. That's it. So it's not the same. This is not what first that's not what Peter is trying to communicate. So to say so is an error. It needs to be dropped. So if you want to have more conversation about that, I'm welcome to it. I'm open to it. Please um email me or call me at 801-980-6333. I would love to have a conversation with you. I don't mind it as long as you're respectful, as always. So that's all I had. I ran a little longer than I wanted to today, but I also kind of started a little late. So don't mind it. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And to listen, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by partnering me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash prescribed truth. A dollar goes a long way. I'm greatly appreciative for those who, uh, who are now supporting me on Patreon and those who have continued to. Uh, I got some things in the works that I'm thinking of to do for you guys. Just thank you so much. Just want to be a give back to you. So um, with that being said, remember, this world is full of errors. But the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings.